Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Memo by Gaia Legal. My name is Jackie, and today I am recording this for Friday, June 2nd. It is currently Thursday, June 1st at 8.14 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, and that means the sun is at 11 degrees Gemini. We are officially in Gemini 2. So in a new series um, for Gemini season, I'm doing uh, doing. I am going over different type of contracts. For Gemini 1, I went over the nine most basic contracts um, every small business owner should have in place. Just And what's the point of a contract to memorialize our agreements, to make sure that we're all on the same page with regards to expectations. It provides a barrier um, when you enter into conflict. It provides procedures uh, for how to resolve that conflict because conflict will happen, especially the more people that you interact with. It's hard to meet everybody's needs because you're not communicating with them in um, necessarily the most, I hate to say, not deep. It's not deep. Uh, the most, you know, time intensive way because transactions move so fast. Communication can get lost in the sauce. And therefore, um, that's why we have contracts. So for Gemini 1, I went through uh, basic contracts. Let me just run through them. Uh, business plan different types of business entities, operating agreements, privacy policies, confidentiality agreements, non-disclosure agreements, terms of use, terms and conditions, service agreements, and disclaimers. And that was the end of that kind of like part one. So in part two, I am going to um, run through contracts that are, um, I guess like your, I don't want to say second tier contracts because I'm like, they're all important, but um, contracts that are either specific to different types of clients or programs. So for example, like course agreements, membership agreements, copywriting agreements, guest teacher, um, podcast, those type of things. And then I'm thinking for Gemini 3, I'll go into like employee contractor type of contracts. Um, yeah, so that's kind of like, we're just, <laughs> Gemini is a mutable sign. So we're just kind of like going with the flow right now. Uh, and that's it. So today is going to be online um, course terms and conditions. This is for anybody with an online course. I'm just going to go over things to consider um, to include in the contract. I have a sample one up here, so I'm going to run through it. And then I'll just comment on certain sections and give some um, different pointers as we go. As always, this is legal education, not legal advice. Le legal education is generally applicable to people's situations, even if a hypothetical or problem or issue discussed in legal education is very similar to your uh, to your situation. You are applying that advice at your own risk um, because it's still targeted to a general audience. If you'd like advice on the specifics of your factual situation, you can um, either do it yourself, Google, <laughs> consult a Google attorney or um, consult a licensed attorney in uh, the jurisdiction and practice area that you are looking to gain expertise on. I am licensed specifically in Texas and Pennsylvania. My primary area of practice is estate planning tax in small business. Um, however, I am part of a national network of attorneys of all 50 states. If you come to me outside federal law, um, that means outside copyright trademark <laughs> IP, if you come to me outside federal law um, and uh, you're asking for a specific legal advice uh, and you're not in Texas or Pennsylvania, I will either co-counsel with someone else from another state or I will refer you to them entirely. So that is my disclaimer. <laughs> the last episode was on disclaimers. 
And just to refresh a disclaimer um, for these podcast episodes. So online course terms and conditions. Sections to include. No, I mean, they're in that order because this makes sense. Um, This is not exhaustive. It's just things to consider. Again, this is very general. Um, Take it for what it is. So beginning your online course terms and conditions in part one during Gemini one, we went over terms and conditions generally, which are um, just the expectations for your program, you know, payment, um, what's in the program, what's in the service, so on and so forth. So this is specific for online courses. So you want to start with identifying the program by its course name. If it's trademarked, um, making sure that you include the appropriate TM or R symbol there and just stating that, you know, as a condition of this program, you agree to be bound by the following and so on and so forth. So we start again with like the basic contracts that we covered in Gemini 1. So terms of use privacy policy disclaimer. The company's terms of use privacy policy disclaimer should be incorporated um, by reference, or you can actually specifically link them in the policy or the online term course terms and conditions. The only thing is if you like update the web page or whatever, it's going to be uh, that the website is going to be different. So just adding generally, they're incorporated here. Um, you can even add just you know where to find these things. That would be nice. Um, nature of the relationship. So just again, like defining the scope of the relationship, just because you're entering in an online course with someone doesn't mean that you're in a partnership, joint venture, employment, or otherwise, you know, agency relationship. It is just a teacher-student relationship that is online. And then you can go into talking about the payment. So like um, for courses with like one pay, multi-pay, describing their payment terms, their payment options. And then if you customize your contract for each student, you can actually like just select the payment option for that particular student when you're signing them up. Or you can, I don't like check boxes because that can be like really unclear. Um, I, if you have multiple payment options, I would just select the one and delete the other clauses and customize the contract for each client. I think, I know that could be more time consuming or you have to do some programming programming on the back end. I think it's well worth it. So the contract is clear because once you start doing check boxes, it's like, what does a check mean? Oh my goodness. Is that like a check? Is it not a check? If you do like, um, you know, anything where there's multi-selection, like at least like write yes or no or initial or have some clarification. But I just, I personally can be very conservative with these things. And I don't like going into that direction. I just like having the clause black and white. So everybody knows what's going on. Um, uh, payment plan authorization. So if you take credit cards and you authorize, you know, what's the nature of that? Where are they giving their information, the privacy um, of that information and how that credit card information is being used? Next is considering if you are going to offer refunds and the terms and conditions of the refunds and making sure that your policy, whatever you come up with, is in agreement with what you're advertising. So is it 100% like money back within 30 days? Is it you buy it and there's no refund? Um, it, it really, you know, it's your course. It's up to you. But you have to also consider, like, what are the pros and cons and what type of, for lack of a better word, drama am I going to deal with with each option? So let's just say you go with no refund. Okay, that sounds clean and simple enough. Um, you buy the course, there's no refunds. It's a very heavy-handed approach. Um, the pros of that approach, it's very payment driven. You're going to get your payment, you get to keep your payment. 
make sure that you have huge disclaimers. There's no refunds. Um, but you are going to still get those people that even though it says no refund, they're going to ask for a refund and then they're going to combat, not combat you, but debate you about the more philosophical reasons for why they should get a refund. And then you have to also think about your reputation as an online course creator. Like, are you going to be so heavy handed that, um, in zero circumstances, you're going to offer a refund, or are you going to be a little bit more open um, and work with people in certain situations. So this is where like customization of your contract like comes into play because all of this is going to depend on the nature of your course, the type of client you're getting in the door, um, what their financial situation is like, because you know, people who don't have that much disposable income, they're going to be more tight on money. They're going to be more apt to probably ask for a refund versus people with more disposable income. They might not care. They might not care to like go through the energy to like get the refund or it could be vice versa, right? You just don't know. You know your customer base the best and you're going to know um, based on your experience, like who's asking for refunds when. So if you hire an attorney, these are the conversations you have so we can craft a refund policy that's specific and that's going to minimize the conflict, minimize the time that you're spending with all of that and just have a clause in the contract um, at the end. So whatever you choose your refund policy to be, make sure you put it there and then um, the procedures for getting a refund. And the refund policy is also great because if you have kind of a more dynamic refund policy, you're able to just point to the refund policy. And if both parties find it like in the gray and reasonable enough, you're not going to get that much conflict. Uh, the program. So now, you know, at the beginning of this online course terms, you stated about the program generally. So specifically now, like what do you get as part of the program? Um, access to program areas, are there Q&As, are there masterminds, are there one-on-ones, what are the bonuses, are there any discounts? So something I see a lot with online course creators is this like lifetime guarantee. And I get nervous for these people because um, at least the ones who don't define what they mean by lifetime, like is it the life of the course? Is it life of the creator? Is it life of the customer? Like whose lifetime is it? And when you leave it so open like that, um, you're just opening yourself up for conflict lawsuits potentially later on. So really defining what does lifetime mean to you? And there's obviously an industry specific um, definition, like what is lifetime generally in your industry? Or, um, you know, I, I do see courses now more often these days like giving a limited time frame. Like you have access to this course for 12 weeks. And I think this is because knowing the data on online courses, a lot of times people are going to either finish the course or they're not. They're going to sign up and be committed and do it. And if they're going to do it, they're going to do it right away. And then you have another group of people who are just like sit on the course and never finish it or only do parts of it for reference. So it depends on the type of client you want to attract. If you tell people, hey, look, you have a, uh, one year access to this course, or you have 12 years access, 12 years, 12 months access to this course, or you have 12 weeks access to this course, they're going to be more motivated to complete it and to engage. And it can be like kind of like a carrot stick, um, like, you know, motivator. If you tell people you have lifetime access, there's no timeline, there's no boundaries, and it might just sit there forever. And then like, what happens if, Technology is always changing. Like you have, for example, Kajabi. You have Kajabi today, but what if like Kajabi goes out of business? You don't know. Like we'd like to think Kajabi is going to be here forever or whatever you think of it or whatever course platform you use, school. 
on Facebook groups. You want want to think like these things are going to be here forever, but then it's not. So what if you advertise a lifetime and one of these places go out of business? Like what's going to happen then? Like think about, are you going to transfer to a different course provider? Are you going to just put everything in like a secondary drive? Like what is the process for again, the lifetime? So Personally, if I was making a course, I would, this is Jackie speaking, Jackie for Jackie, I would put a time limit on it. I would say, hey, 12 weeks, one year, I think that's fine. Like just literally, just like a college course. It's probably a reason why college courses have um, time limits. You have access to it during the semester and then that's it. And it's up to you to save it on your hard drive. I like that. It's worked for many, many years. And there's a reason why colleges are all like that probably because they've probably, you know, I don't think they had this issue because you have to like enroll and then not be enrolled in college, but just something to consider. So that's my spiel on lifetime. There's something else about lifetime. Oh, like how it connects to your succession and estate plan. Like lifetime, let's just say you offer a lifetime course access and you're like lifetime of the course creator. So if you know you're not here anymore, you travel to another planet, you go to the moon, whatever. Um, when you're not here on planet earth anymore, like who's stepping into your shoes? Do you have an estate plan? Do you have a succession plan? And the thing is like a lot of business owners don't. So, um, I, you know, I'm not asking this of the people I buy courses from, cause like, it's not a big deal, but it's just like all of these things you're opening up yourself for lawsuits. And when I say it's not a big deal, it's not a big deal for me because I access the course. I do what I need to do and I'm done with it. Just because someone advertises lifetime access, that's like not an inducement to me. Like I'm not going to buy a course because it has lifetime access. Like it, it doesn't mean anything to me, but for some people it does because they want to have access to it for a long time. It's just not my learning style. And again, like think about it. What if that person like leaves to go live on the moon and they don't have a succession plan or an estate plan in place. Like you should be asking the course creator, like, what is your estate plan? What is your succession plan look in place? Like when you're not here, where's this going? What is your plan? And they might, oh, we have staff, but like what are the procedures behind that? And so on and so forth. So that is my big thing on lifetime. Really sit down and consider that. And if you need to talk through it more, you know, consult with the appropriate advisors so you can get that on paper written out into your um, online course terms and conditions. So discussion groups, bonuses, discounts, like just planning for if this is not available in Kajabi anymore, um, you have access to, you don't even have to name the platform. You can just say alternative platform because that will cover you. So when the time comes, let's just say Kajabi's not here anymore or something better comes out, you can switch it all over to the alternate platform. But again, if I was me making an online course right now, which I am, just make it like 12 weeks, 12 months so that you have a tighter grip on it. But I, I like to have control and I'm, I probably air more conservative when <laughs> this is like my estate planning on the side. When I draft estate plans, like when I work with my paralegals and they're setting up my, my, um, drafting settings, like they're like, Jackie, you're like so conservative. Yes. Because I've seen like lots of things happen and it's just like, you need to see why cover your assets at all times. Um, and even then there's probably something going to happen, but at least you tried like your best, best. Anyway, I'm just, that's just my philosophy. So if you decide to work with me, just know that I do generally take a more conservative approach to my, to my work and to my, my legal work. I like, I feel like I'm a very open-minded liberal person for every, for most things. But when it comes to legal, like the actual construction of the structures, um, the contracts, I'm actually very conservative and I will 
make sure that we like dot our I's and cross our T's as much as possible. And, um, yeah, I'm, I'm willing to, you know, if you come to me as a client and you, you don't like my conservative approach and you'd rather be more liberal, I am willing to work with you, but just know that I'm going to start you out in a conservative fashion. And then you can loosen me up like <laughs> along the way. And it, it'll probably be a good check and balance. Cause if you bring a suggestion to me, that's a little bit more on the liberal side, I'm going to give you the pros and cons, but ultimately this is your contract. So it's your call. I'm here to draft it for you. I'm here to give you advice, but I'm not running your business for you. Like this is your business, but I am here to give you kind of like <laughs> worst case scenarios. So that's a benefit of um, taking conservative approach because you're going to hear the worst case scenarios. Um, okay. So next we went through a lifetime access program in detail. So next section to consider um, who's owning the intellectual property and just being clear who owns what there's some programs where like certain things, if you modify it, like they own the intellectual property. It just, it just depends on the course. Like I'm part of certain courses where like they give you templates, but the modification of the template is then transferred to your intellectual property. So being clear with that, um, with people. And I also like had, you know, if you have, um, what else, there was something else recently that I actually asked them, Oh, like I was, um, working with the state planning for this webinar and so on and so forth. And they actually like did the script for me. They did like copywriting for me, but then I revised it and I changed it to my branding and all these things. And then I asked them specifically, I was like, who owns the copyright to this? Like where's the IP rights go? And then all transferred to me because of the modifications that I made and so on and so forth. But it's just like, you know, my thing about copyright law was there creativity there? Yes, common law, whatever. But you know, you just also want to double check to make sure everybody's on the same page, have it in writing and so on and so forth. So if anything comes up in the future, like you have that there already. Okay, next, after IP assignments, confidentiality. It's like for these um, like terms and agreements for course creators, you're incorporating a lot of the basic, like nine basic contracts that we went over in Gemini 1. So it's like Gemini 1 was like contracts 1 and 1. And Gemini 2 is like contracts 1 or 2 because you have to have the foundation in place to now like put different aspects of the foundational contracts into more robust contracts. Uh, next, materials. Uh, if, you know, let's just say someone submits, if you're doing a course on running Facebook ads and someone submits a ad copy, like, first of all, who owns that? Um, how can the course creator use that? How can the course creator use your feedback and then just snip what you say or, you know, who who owns what material and how can they use it? So making sure that you read over like how your inputs into the course, how your discussion board posts, how your feedback will be used, if it'll be used for ads and so on and so forth, and if you're comfortable with that. Uh, next, warranties. Uh, so now, you know, when we have the course terms and condition, warranties, limits on your liability, uh, making sure that if there are disputes, you have a dispute resolution clause. Are you going to arbitration? Are you avoiding litigation? Who's going to be the insurers? Um, and then, of course, your boilerplate, like, this will be interpreted under the laws of Texas, for example. This constitutes the entire agreement. If there's a clause in here that people uh, find unconscionable for any sort of reason, that does not void the entire contract and only takes out, severs that one individual clause. Like these are all boilerplate that go into the contract. But because of case law, you need to have them in there because <laughs> let's just say you end up in litigation 
the boilerplate is like the first thing that attorneys are going to look for. Like if you don't have a choice of law clause, meaning like you didn't choose a state in which you're going to litigate in, like for example, Texas, that's the first thing attorney is going to go to. Okay, I'm going to try to find a state that's like favorable to our side. And now you're spending money like litigating over that. Same thing with like a severability clause. This is boilerplate, meaning that like every contract should have this. Severability clause means that if you have a contract and for whatever reason, one of the clauses, one of the terms of the contract is void, is not valid, the court finds it not valid for some reason, it doesn't dismiss the entire contract. Just that section, the rest of the contract is still in play. But let's just say, imagine if you didn't have a severability um, clause in there. So what's going to happen is the attorneys, like the attorneys are just trying to find the best argument for the side. So they're going to start saying like, oh, well, this entire contract is void. And then you're going to, you don't want to enter that sort of um, litigation. Another clause that had in play is a force majeure clause. These came up during COVID, um, act of God, <laughs> when there is an act of God as some like terrorism, national emergency, revolution, COVID-19, insurrection. <laughs> we had an insurrection on January 6th. I mean, like, these type of things happen, clearly happen. So what happens when there's a um, when there's an act of God or an act of the universe? <laughs> act of Pluto and Aquarius. You could literally write that in your contract if that's the type of clients. Like when Pluto enters Aquarius, like what's gonna happen? Um, you probably don't want to add that in there. Just just kidding. Just stick with the basics. So act of God, flood, fire, earthquake, explosion. Let's stay conservative. Um, what's gonna happen? Make sure that you have an out. So the effective agreement date and so on and so forth. So that's kind of just some basics for your online course terms and conditions. And remember, since we're entering Gemini 2, this is like contracts 102, having the first nine contracts in place that we covered in Gemini 1. If you didn't listen to those or you need to review it, you can go back. And then once you have those down, now consider, okay, how can I add these together to um, create my online course terms and conditions. So that is all. This is, I'm recording this Thursday evening, but it will air Friday, June 2nd. And then we're just going to continue next week with these like more contracts 102. So thinking about like coaching agreements, group coaching, guest teachers, podcasters, and so on and so forth. I kind of just like doing this one day at a time. I don't know. I go between batch uploading them versus uploading one day at a time. My my kids, they're going to have break from school, so I might have to do these at night for like the next week or two, but then they're going to go to summer camp. So yeah, we'll just go. We'll go with the flow. I feel good with this right now. Um, and that's it. Thank you all for tuning in, and I hope you have a wonderful day, evening, um, wherever you're at, and um, look forward to talking to you next time. Bye.